everybody, I'm Chris and with me is Matt and we're slowing down to better connect with the stories and the people around us between the miles. Matt, it is good to talk with you, man. I'm so excited about today's guest, Mary Beth Highland. Um, why don't we just jump into it? Tell people how you guys got connected and how she ended up here on the show. Yeah, so um, for people familiar with Mary Beth, I mean, she's all over LinkedIn. She does a lot of stuff here in the Baltimore area, but I met her six years ago. Um, her, you know, I was on uh, the board of young uh, adult advisors, uh, I guess the board of young adult advocates at the um, Ullman Cancer Fund, uh, now the Ullman Foundation. And uh, we were tasked, right, volunteers, we were tasked to uh, come up with a really unique uh, way to generate membership and, and have something that would be enduring, right? And they brought in uh, someone to lead that conversation to really spark a vision uh, for what the future of Ullman uh, membership was going to look like for their volunteers. And uh, that's when I met Mary Beth. She was uh, the person that they brought in. And man, I, Chris, we hit it off right away. And she brought so much value in such a short period of time. I've just, uh, I've made sure to keep it a point to uh, keep up with her over the years. Awesome. Yeah. And I'm glad that you, um, you invited her and uh, we, we brought her onto the show. And uh, just so that our listeners know, uh, when Matt and I were initially thinking of the show, we're like, okay, who are the first five guests we want? Uh, Mary Beth was right there on that list. And um, it took her, it took us a little bit of time to get her on the show. Um, but definitely worth it uh, again. And she's going to talk a little bit more about who she is and what she does. But Mary Beth Highland is the founder and chief visionary of Spark Vision. And uh, she has over 12 years of experience built on knowledge from her, uh, um, her degree in social work and master's in nonprofit management to basically help people grow and uh, become better leaders. And so, um, Matt, I am so excited for people to listen to this episode. And so let's not delay them any further. Everyone here is Mary Beth Highland. Mary Beth, tell us a little bit about what Spark Vision is um, and uh, take us uh, through the story of, of how Spark Vision was created and why. Sure. Thanks for, first of all, thanks for having me. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity to be with your community today. And um, the, the journey, it's like, you know, like I said, seeing Matt and being reconnected, it, it makes me realize how much things have really changed within my business over the last almost six years now. So I started my organization as a result of being a fundraiser prior to that. I ran a young professionals program for my local United Way, which is a large international nonprofit. And I was leading the young professionals program locally. And the program that I ran happened to have incredible results. Uh, we quadrupled membership in the first year and it became a national proven practice for after a year and a half. So it was this experience where whenever somebody called the headquarters of United Way and said, we need to understand how to engage young professionals, they would say, call Mary Beth. <laughs> so I got this really beautiful taste of what it's like to be a consultant, what it feels like to help people through their experiences and pain points in a way that for me was very intuitive and I didn't realize was a gift or a skill. I just thought everybody knew how to do this. 
But the reality was that most people, particularly when it came to young professionals, really didn't understand how to create cultures in which they embodied their values and then attracted and retained membership as a result of creating those types of environments. And so it was a really wonderful introduction to what's possible when you can start to ignite proven practices all over the world through what you've done and realize like, oh my gosh, this is replicable. Other people can do this. This isn't some kind of secret magic thing that I have going here in Baltimore. We just need to have other people understand how they can do their version of what that is. And so that was really the platform that I was able to step out on having had built really powerful and meaningful relationships with people all over the region and especially in Baltimore where, where we are. And then when I started my business, of course, everybody was like, oh, you're the millennial person. Some people call me the millennial whisperer. And um, so it was an experience where I was like, no, I'm the human person. I just happen to work with young professionals. Like there was such a big divide of feeling like you had to speak a different language. You had to have an entirely different skill set in order to engage and activate young professionals within the workplace. And it was mind boggling to me because I'm like, we're, we're just humans like everybody else. And so while I was not eager to put my stake in the ground as a millennial engagement expert when I, when I went out, that really was what people wanted, wanted me for. And so as you can imagine, when you start your business, it's kind of like, well, what do I do? You know, I can do this. And so I really owned that space for the first few years. We did research on high achieving millennials and um, were able to back up a lot of the proven practices with data afterwards so that it kind of gave a more robust experience for people who were looking for support in their programs like Almond was. And after I'd say three years, the millennial engagement stuff just became like this gum stuck on the bottom of my shoe that I just kept trying to scrape off and say, okay, you want me to come in to help to like fix your millennial problem, which is total BS in the first place. Um, but I use that as the way to get my foot in the door and say, well, how about we talk about what most people want. How about we create experiences that ignite and connect all the generations throughout your organization? And then it was really nice because that was what I really wanted to be talking about. And I'd say, you know, only in the recent couple of years, I don't know what the turn, what the exact moment of turning point was, but people then started to come to me for values work. So it was sort of this natural evolution. I think it's probably the way I was talking about my work of realizing that that's really what I want to do. So I have the privilege now every single day that I work with individuals and organizations to help them to uncover their core values and then create environments that reflect those core values. So for individuals, that gives them a sense of purpose, alignment, energy. And for organizations at large, that really comes down to their culture, their operations, their systems, their processes, their way they connect, the way they hire, the way they retain, the way they let people go, and all the nuances that often are overlooked when it comes to values. 
So we take it to another level that typically it's a marketing exercise to figure out the words to put on the poster. And instead we take approach that's a very human experience in having the individuals that work there start to identify their own core values and why they motivate them. And then seeing how that overlays with the organization at large. So we can be really authentic and organic in the process of uncovering what they are so that we actually are saying these intrinsically motivate our people versus these need to intrinsically motivate our people because we said so. Awesome. Awesome. Well, first, thanks for, for sharing all of that. That, it, that. That's so awesome. And and actually, you've struck a chord with me. So, um, you know, our, our listeners know, but I, um, since we're just meeting right now, uh, I, I'm a youth minister. So I've worked with millennials. I've heard those stereotypes about millennials and, and everything. And um, and so I really appreciate the work that you've put into, uh, you know, help put a spotlight on the fact that these are human issues or human problems or human uh, forms. I want to go back to something that you said that really struck me, which, um, you know, as you were going into the consulting world, you said there were a lot of things that you assumed other people knew um, that you inherently knew, right? Tell us a little bit about where you think you have absorbed or some of the influences or relationships that maybe have kind of formed that education or that knowledge or, or actually I better said wisdom that you've been able now to, to share and gift to other people through, through your organization. Yeah. So I love that question because I think that so many people don't honor their gifts because they think everybody knows how to do this. Right. They think like this is normal. And that's almost always the case when it's something that doesn't take a lot of intense struggle or effort or energy to create. We think everybody can do that because I can do that. Um, And so I would, I, I, in the last few years, I'm doing a lot of deep work and trying to understand, you know, where were there, these gifts formed? Who were the people who helped me to create them? Um, the most intense was my father. So my father was abusive. And as a child, I really learned how to change my way of showing up so that I wouldn't get hurt. So it was an experience where I didn't know it, but I had this extremely high level of emotional intelligence because I was constantly from my earliest memories, reading his body language, reading his tone of voice, understanding what was the energy coming out of him, whether he was yelling or calm or whatever it might be. And then changing myself, chameleoning the way I showed up so that I would help him to calm down or to recognize that like I was a helper and those kinds of things. So it was quite a way to learn, right? It was like a, not, not a recommend, not a recommendation um, for anyone. But I think when we talk about our gifts, we often don't acknowledge that they many times come out of our greatest pain and our greatest um, difficulties in life. And looking back, I know that that's where I started to form my skills of emotional intelligence and recognizing that um, this was a way to survive and this was a way to make it through without um, having as much of pain um, that I could have been experiencing if I didn't take those actions. Yeah. First, uh, thank you so much for for sharing that. Right. And um, I I love the fact that uh, and, and I agree wholeheartedly, right? Like that there's so much that we can learn from our most painful moments or our, our most painful experiences. 
Um, with the topic of, uh, you know, emotional intelligence, it, it's really interesting. I, I can't remember if this was Dr. Brene Brown or someone I heard recently say this, where you look at work 100 years ago and it was the work of the hands, right? It was all labor. Um, and then uh, more recently in the last couple of decades, it, we've been in this world of work of work of the head, right? Uh, you know, with AI and things like that. But what we're really seeing, and, and it seems like you're on the forefront of this, is now that more and more organizations, more and more companies are becoming um, work of the heart, right? And it's all about relationships and emotional intelligence. Um, where where do you feel like, you know, kind of, you mentioned looking back, looking back, at what point do you feel like looking back at, whether it's your childhood or some of these other experiences that you started to recognize or learn about what emotional intelligence is and, and was? Like, when, when did that light bulb go off? It took a long time. Let me tell yeah. you, I thought something was wrong with me for a very long time. I didn't understand why people didn't feel the way I felt. I didn't understand why people didn't treat people the way that I treated people. Not to say I'm perfect or, you know, I've done everything in the way that everyone would want to experience, but I constantly felt like I was damaged goods because it just, everything was so deep and intense for me. Um, and so therapy, <laughs> Going to really great therapy was one of the beginnings of recognizing that actually something's not wrong with me. There's things that are really right with me and that these are gifts that I can own and help and, and be um, a leader in helping others who want to uncover these possibilities for themselves too. And the reason I started to go to therapy was because I had a work addiction. I was um, working constantly and to the point where I was barely sleeping. Um, it was uh, constantly in a state of anxiety and stress and having an extremely high bar for myself. Feelings of not enoughness were the constant driver, which came from my dad, right? I have to be doing, doing more. I have to prove myself. I have to bring in more um, money for my, you know, when I was a fundraiser, I have to, you know, all the societal norm checkboxes. And it wasn't until I started to go to mindfulness-based psychodynamic therapy that I realized that my worth didn't come from doing and it came from being and slowing down and tuning in. And like you said, listening to the heart, recognizing that the heart has intelligence more than the brain in many ways. And um, taking that journey from the head to the heart was a really intentional process that began, was ignited in therapy, and then unfolded more and more through mindfulness practices. Um, I'm actually a teacher now on Insight Timer, which is a mindfulness app. Um, I just uh, created a new, I'm really excited, values-based mindfulness. We just got it trademarked. Um, and recognizing that these are, these are like skills. <laughs> these are skills that people can develop. This is not because somebody's a special person and another person isn't. It's about learning how to develop those skills and those muscles. And once again, for me, it came from needing to have a better way. You know, I couldn't keep living the way I was living with the work addiction. Yeah. Are, so as you're taking your clients now, whether they're individuals or organizations, when, when you're taking them through the journey, whether they're consulting with you or, or coaching with you, right? Are you finding that 
you're sharing this story with them? Are you finding that they share these stories with you, right? Does that help drive the direction of where they're trying to go, whether it's as an individual or as, as an organization? Yeah, you know, it, it really depends, right? It's client to client, it's different. Like a lot of people reach out because some I work with somebody they know and we had a great experience and they're looking, this is a very niche market, right? Like most people who do this work are in the marketing and branding field versus the culture space that it's about integration and operationalizing. Um, and so most people don't even know what that means. So typically it's somebody else had experienced that work and we're referring, but the majority of my business who I don't have a, a personal or referral experience comes from LinkedIn. And um, I, that's a platform that I share this side of myself regularly. Um, it's something that I found it makes people feel like they have permission to be human. And it makes them feel like um, they're not alone. And that somebody who is a business owner and respected in the community can talk about these things and not be outcasted as a result of it and recognize that they have their own versions of that experience within them that maybe it's not the, the what I describe, but whatever their pain that they've been through and, and their history. Um, I will say that I, I have a video on, on my website, which pieces of it, I was being interviewed um, and there's pieces of it that talk about where I got my gifts from, from my, my childhood abuse. And I don't like, it's one of these things that somebody did this video. They did this video with us when I first started my business. I think it was like three weeks in. It's so old at this point. I've wanted to take it down many times. But I have had so many people reach out to me and say, that's the reason why. That's, that's the reason why I, I reached out to you is because of that. Because I watched that video and, I, and, I, and I, under, I understood that you got it and that you don't have to have a learning curve to work with our people because you understand the depth of human experience, right? And um, I always find that so so beautiful and surprising. And I, I just recently had somebody reach out to me on LinkedIn who said she was on my website and her son was next to her and she played the video and he then spent the rest of the day talking about me and how much it like touched him. And this was like a seven-year-old. And um, I just was like, whoa, things you don't ever think about. And there's obviously so much more that we don't ever know because people don't tell us. But I do believe that the majority of business that I get is because people feel a human connection before we start working with each other. Yeah. And, and I do want to, to talk more about the human connection, but I, I got to bring us back for a second to something that you alluded to, which was, um, you know, I think you said that, uh, you know, I, I struggled as, as like a workaholic, right. Or, or with how much I was putting into my work. So how are you finding that you're actually like disconnecting now? Right. Cause you, you, that was probably had to have been a learned skill from that time period. So how do you, how do you find yourself disconnecting now and, and giving yourself that space so that you can show up in these ways for people? Yeah. I love that question. Well, it took a while. Let's just say that like, it wasn't a like, oh, I went to three therapy sessions and now I don't have a work addiction. It was years of 
peeling back and uncovering what, why was I being, why was I driving myself in this way and, and finding those experiences and healing them and then finding the next one and healing it. And of course they always still pop up. I was saying to my husband, even just this morning, as uh, my book is about to come out soon, I part of my pattern when I first started to go to treatment was that I would wake up around two or three and then work until like six or seven and then go to sleep for like an hour and then go into work. And that was like just a very, it was a daily seven day a week routine because I couldn't sleep. The only way that I could feel like my brain would calm down is if I got all the things off of my to-do list, which were self-imposed. And so, um, it was, I told him this week, I have had to, to really nurture myself because I've wanted to get up at two. I've been awake at two or three and I want to work on my book. I want to get ahead. I want to, I'm the kind of person who like likes to have things done before the deadline so that I can breathe, but I hurt myself in the process of that instead of like recognizing, you know, there's a pace to this as a cadence. And so I, I still need to really be present to those moments. And I, even this morning we were doing our gratitude. I said, I'm grateful that I chose to read a book when I was up at two o'clock and that I didn't turn on the computer. And I haven't done that um, for many years now, which is a huge improvement. Um, but going back to your, going back to your question around, um, you know, this whole journey around the process and, really being able to change and shift and turn off. Um, that's where mindfulness really played a huge role. So mindfulness is about being present and conscious in this moment, right? So having a loving curiosity through all of your senses and recognizing that all we have is this moment right now. And so that to me was like, crazy when I was hurt. Like, it's like, uh, no, there's all my past. There's all the things I need to do in the future. How can I possibly be present? And, um, so some of the first assignments that I had were when you're driving drive and when you're walking walk. So it was the kind of thing that it was like, no, no, I do. I do texts, emails, phone calls when I drive really dangerous, really stupid. Um, uh, and then it was like, when I'm walking, that's a perfect time for me to take a call, uh, schedule a meeting, you know, walk and talk, that kind of a thing. And so that was the beginning of recognizing that I could disconnect from technology in certain transitions in life. Right. So like the driving, the walking, so that was the beginning. It was like, okay. I can actually drive and I can drive not even listening to music and I can just be fully present to what's going on around me. And then I can add in music or whatever else with intention. And it made me realize like how nice it was to not feel the competition of all the things that I needed to get done instead of like just being here and doing the thing that's right in front of me. And so over time, um, that has now elevated to solo retreats. So I typically go twice a year out into the mountains. We, I'm very fortunate that uh, my family has a ranch in Idaho that has no cell reception, no TV, no internet. And uh, I go out by myself typically for 10 days, two weeks at a time. I completely disconnect from technology to reconnect to my humanity and 
I've learned that I can go about six days with no human connection before it's time for me to like go into town and like get some groceries so that I'm not feeling like a total hermit. Um, but that's when I feel the most at peace. And that's when I feel the greatest sense of energy and connection and abundance and possibility. And so when I go on these retreats, what's so beautiful is when I come back, I have the greatest visions, the greatest new programs, the most wonderful new things that I want to birth into this world because I gave myself the space to be and I, and I protect it because I'm in a land where I literally cannot get into the internet. Like it's like, Oh, serious boundary. I have to, there's one mountain you can climb that you can get internet cell phone reception. That'll bounce off the top of the mountain. So we call that two bar. Cause you can get two bars, two bar mountain. Um, but otherwise it's really what I needed in the beginning to, to turn off and completely because it was not, it's like, I'm not joking. I'm actually not able to respond to your email. Um, and so now that I've been doing that for the past five years, religiously, we, um, my husband and I am grateful he's on the same similar journey. We regularly go on retreats. I'll say this past year, it's been really difficult because it's not the same in being able to like, just get on a plane and go away and that kind of a thing. And so we've been really intentional about going on renting Airbnbs and that kind of a thing. And we just, uh, actually were on retreat for a week, a couple weeks ago, we spent seven days and we spent a good amount of that time in silence. And, um, I said, I told my husband, I was like, I've always wanted to go on a silent retreat. Want to just like do that? <laughs> he was like, yeah. Um, and it was beautiful. It was amazing. And it was not just silence of speaking. It was also silence of, um, not playing music, not turning on the television, not, um, having any technological distractions. And, um, I think it's, again, it's like a muscle that you build up into those or some people like to go straight into the deep end right and like go to a silent retreat where there's no tech connection right away who have never done it before to get that exposure um but now it's really a it's, it's like a religious practice for us it's, it's a very intentional part of our cadence of life yeah i can i can definitely appreciate that and, and one thing i know i have to and i appreciate you sharing that on multiple levels one for people to hear but also a reminder for me because um, there was a good period of time where once a month and it wasn't a day off actually. Um, and I got permission from my employer to take one day a month to go and just, um, and just pray, meditate and, uh, you know, be on my own and, and journal and stuff. And it, it, like you said, it was so hard to do it the first couple of times. I remember the first day I, I tried it. I could only make it like four hours and it was like, I got to do something, you know, and I got to connect. And, um, but the more that came about and then, um, you know, I appreciate the mountains too, because Matt knows this. I, I go winter camping once a year in the Adirondacks with a group of friends. And that's when I love because my phone becomes a camera again, because I think, yeah. you know, and only that, right? Right. Like, right. Well, that. I think the worst thing in the world was when my phone got a camera, right? Because um, I used to do the same thing that you did when I would go on a family vacation. I'd either tell my wife, here's my phone, or I'd hide my phone and I'd have the old school camera to take oh. pictures, right? Um, and now it's kind of like, oh, like I have to give up my good camera to, <laughs> or I have to find my film camera to, to go take pictures or I've got to 
you know, the do not disturb swipe or the airplane mode thing, that's just not enough of a barrier for me. But uh, I do appreciate because I, like, again, I think there is some truth and value to truly disconnecting when you're on um, retreat or, or vacation um, and, and being able to refuel. Um, what you talked a, a lot about solitude, right? And, and silence, and I, I think that's key. Tell us um, a little bit, um, and you've mentioned your husband, but um, in addition to your husband, or who are people or networks or communities in your life that also kind of fuel you? Um, or are there uh, groups or people in your life that fuel you that serve as muses and inspirations and even accountability? Um, what are those people like? Yeah, I, I have a bunch of them, which is really fortunate. I'm definitely, it's funny, like after spending a lot of time by myself, I realized like I'm actually an introvert in extroverts clothes. Like, I, you know, but I, I really do like being with people and having community and those kinds of things. So um, I have several mastermind groups that I'm a part of. So other people who are entrepreneurs, actually, that's the first thing I did when I started my business. Uh, because I ran a young professionals group, there were so many young professionals who I was completely in love with that I was so sad at the thing, the thought that I wouldn't have them see them regularly in my life at the cadence that we were seeing each other. And so I immediately reached out to all of the young professionals from that group who were part of my soul family, who were business owners, who were entrepreneurs and said, do you want to create a, a brain trust together? You want to do a masterminds kind of experience? And so um, that has been so beautiful. We've been, we've been together from the beginning. So six years, we meet every month. Um, and again, they're all, they're all business owners. I also have communities that are specifically around um, certain values that I want to activate. So for like spirituality is really important to us. And, um, this isn't like a one-to-one -one community. It's a global community that we're a part of with uh, Michael Bernard Beckwith. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He is a Gape community um, based out of California. And it's just such a wonderful experience to be a part of that. And, and we do it by joining live every Sunday and being a part of the service and feeling a deep connection through meditation. It's a meditation practice, it's a meditation service. Um, we also, I have a brain trust for my values work. So for example, um, you know, I think a lot of times when you're birthing something and you just really want to make sure it happens, you want to have people that are your, as you said, accountability, right? Accountability and support. And so uh, there are, uh, there's a group of amazing humans, 15, who have all had some kind of experience with my values work that we meet with on a quarterly basis to check in, tune in with our own values, and then also support the work in moving forward. Um, I've also created communities for people in the community who want to do that, you know, who want to connect through their values and have a, a support system. And um, the, the last one that I'll mention is, is another group that uh, I'm very, very dear and very good friends with the leader of the community, uh, but it's also a global community, is Julie Riesler. She has a, a group called the USU, and it's all about living your most authentic life. And um, that community has been an amazing support in recognizing that sometimes it feels lonely to be in this space not as much anymore because as you said more people are realizing this is the future it is now and it's also where we're heading because 
artificial intelligence is going to take over a lot of the mind stuff. And um, it's so nice to have people who are fueling you and recognizing that there's more, there's so much more that I have no idea. And these people are so much further ahead in their journeys and how beautiful it is to have that constant inspiration of possibility. So um, I think one of the things that I've, the, the, one of the things I picked up throughout this conversation is this human experience, right? And you've used this word human when talking about yourself and talking about others. So tell us a little bit about, right, the, the human experience, because I, I think it's actually, it's kind of started to drive you towards your next call it a venture or whatever it is, but, but, you know, probably something that's, that spawned um, the book that you were talking about. Yeah. Humanity is so complicated, right? It's like, I say all the time, it's so hard to be a human. Like it's one of these things that there are many days that I wish I were my cat. I, I look at him and I'm like, dang, it would be so nice to be him. <laughs> And then I recognize that through the huge spectrum of our human experience from you know, pain and sorrow to bliss and joy, it's so awesome. You know, it's so awesome when we can get into a place with ourselves where we can appreciate it. We can appreciate how complex we are. We can appreciate um, our ego and what it is how it's serving us and how it's hurting us, right? We can appreciate um, our, our histories and how they've shaped the lens in which we view the world. We can recognize that um, all of our life experiences have been a culmination of shaping our value system and the way that we determine whether or not we feel a sense of energy or we feel like we're being sucked dry. And when I when, so when I talk about humanity, I'm really talking about all of those complexities, right? We've got pet peeves, we've got traumas, we've got um, successes and joys, and um, all these wonderful complex aspects to each and every one of us. And what I've learned in doing this work so deeply in my business over the last nearly six years is that we're really all the same. You know, we're, we are absolutely different, right? And have to honor what makes us unique and individuals. But we are also all the same because we are human. And that's where most of us aren't connecting and recognizing that while we may look totally different, we may have totally different backgrounds, when we start to have meaningful conversations that are go below the surface, that's when we start to recognize, oh, I see the humanity in me, in you. And what's been the greatest gift in this values work is that that always happens. That is a guarantee. It's a guarantee because when people start talking about their values, it's not a surface conversation. It's not possible, right? It's not possible to make that surface because they're deep and they live inside of us. And um, that's been the greatest gift in this, this experience of working with humans and helping humans to understand their own humanity and the humanity of the people around them. 
And that's what's been really incredibly exciting about this upcoming book, which is called Permission to be Human. Mm. Um, the subtitle is The Conscious Leader's Guide to Creating a Values-Driven Culture. So it's a step-by-step -step guide for leaders, entrepreneurs, CEOs who really want to learn how to know, own, and live their values at work. And it starts with them as an individual. So you always have to look in the mirror first before you ask other people to join you in the process. And so that is, it's been such a gift to have all this stuff that's been living inside of me for so long to finally get out. Chris, I know you know this in your experience as an author. Um, and it feels so exciting because almost to your question earlier, like how do people find you? One of the things I, one of the things I talk about in my book is that um, I'm really fortunate that I've never been in a position where um, it was like dire to find clients or anything like that. Um, because when you can connect with somebody at their heart, they don't forget that. And when you can give other people permission to be human, they don't forget that. Right. It's something that sticks with them. So even just this, right. Like even you asking me to be a part of this, we haven't had exchanges in between. I mean, we had some, but you know, it's been many years since we've connected, but we connected through our hearts. And so I'll always remember you. I can't say that you always remember me. You have to say that, but I will, you always live here because I remember we talked about stuff going on with your back. Right. And like how my husband was having the same stuff going on with his back. And, um, I think you were just about to have your surgery and it was a very heart connecting experience. So, so number one, right? Like, let's just, I'm hitting the pause button. Okay. <laughs> so there's two things. So one that was actually, so I, I don't mean to call, but that was my, my wife was going through her back surgery and, and there was a lot of support. So, so as you were talking about your husband, I mean, you know, as someone on the other side of that, right. Who's, who's being there for someone that's going through it. It's like, you almost want to absorb their pain in that moment and, and in that recovery and all of those things that a caregiver in so many scenarios, um, you know, can, can really take on everything that, that the person is going through. Right. But, but the fact that you remembered that is a incredible, and then number two is you're here, right? So, you know, I don't know if this is a reciprocity of the heart or anything like that, but when we were formulating the vision for what Chris and I were putting together, you were one of the people at the top of the list from my perspective because of our interaction, right? And, and again, that was what, six years ago, five, six years ago? Yeah, and it's probably just a few hours of time together. Yeah, but but the other thing that um, I'd love to give you credit for, and, and you talked about earlier, was was your link, like your presence on LinkedIn and on social media, right? So many times we don't realize that we have people that we consistently connect with because we're just hitting a heart button or whatever it is. But at this, you know, you, you share values with people and you were at the top of that values list, even though we haven't been interacting regularly, you know, even though it might've just been a heart or, or, a, or a, you know, a quick, Hey, that's awesome. 
right? The content that you've been putting out into the world, right, has kept you in, in my world. And uh, it's something that I've admired. And, and so for me, it's a privilege to be able to, I don't want to say close the loop, but to bring it full circle to where we were six years ago and, and just get this experience to get to know each other more. It's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, I'm, I'm just filled with all warm fuzzies listening to you too. But, <laughs> but I mean, like, no. Am I going to start crying? <laughs> in, all in all seriousness, no. I, I Like, what you're talking about, Marybeth, is is empathy and accompany, uh, accompaniment, you know, where um, whether it's a client, um, a friendship, a neighbor, uh, it's really asking the question, how, how far and how deep are you willing to walk with that person? Like, yeah. you know. Um, like, like how much are you willing to strip away your armor, your shield so that you can show your vulnerability to give them permission to be vulnerable as well. And um, it's not about just being brutally honest. It's about being authentic and discovering that authenticity. And, you know, um, while you and Matt have connected a couple of times before, and this being our first conversation ever, um, you know, it's uh, it, like it, it just shows that there is this authenticity that that radiates and, and it is a blessing. And, and I've learned, too, as um, not just as a, a youth minister, but as a consultant myself, that, yeah, the best marketing that you ever have to do is just by being your true self, not necessarily buying ad space or, you know, things along those lines. But um, but by um, allowing your authentic reputation, um, just who you are. Um, I want to kind of go back to, you know, you're talking about, um, uniqueness and diversity, right? Like how we're all the same because we're human, right? But we're also unique and different because we look different. We have different values, things like that. Can you talk about, um, and maybe it's how you work with your clients or, um, uh, you know, either with organizations or individuals, how do you live in that tension? Like you, you mentioned conversations, but what are some of the ways that we can live in that tension where we can be our true self, but also recognize that we are connected? Mm, what a profound question. I think that um, living in the tension is first starts with understanding yourself because it's really difficult to be comfortable in the uncomfortable if you don't know how to take care of yourself through that, through those moments, right? So for example, um, when I first started doing a lot of this work, I always wanted to like have the answer, have the solution, be the one who could create the connection that, you know, we're all the same, but we're all like, I wanted to be the connector of those epiphanies and experiences. And what I learned while that's nice is that that's an inner journey for each individual that they need to choose to take. And it starts by saying, I want this. Like, I want to choose, I'm choosing this and I'm choosing this possibility. And um, I really think that there's a lot of great programming nowadays um, with, with people supporting folks and uncovering their biases and understanding um, how they're showing up in the world and how they're seeing themselves and others, which is a beautiful way to start to learn more and look in the mirror more deeply. But also that's really uncomfortable. 
uncomfortable, right? That's like really, it can be painful. It can be shame invoking. It can create guilt and nobody wants to feel those things. And that's why I really love the values work. So um, we do a, a, a retreat called Life Lens, which is all about helping individuals to uncover their values. And I never advertise it as a diversity, equity, and inclusion experience because I, I'm not a trained facilitator in that, and I never want to um, own that as what it is. But in its own way, it always is that experience because everybody is being very vulnerable. It's a day long, and the room is filled with people who are so different every single time in the traditional ways you think about that, right? Like we talked about the way you look, how old you are, what you do for a living, um, your sexual orientation, those kinds of things. And um, that, like, it's the most beautiful thing because in the beginning of the day, people are always kind of quiet and like feeling it out. And by the end, they like don't want to leave if we're physically together. Um, and they're like making new lifelong friends. They're connecting deeply. They're exchanging numbers. And I think that what people really need and they don't even realize is taking that first step and saying like, I'm willing to be vulnerable. Like I'm willing to try. I'm willing to see and finding a facilitator, perhaps if they want to be a part of an experience, like I just described, find a facilitator that makes them feel safe. You know, like I know that that's my number one job when I facilitate this work is to create psychological safety for everybody who's there. Now, I can't control that 100% because I don't know what's happening in each individual's mind throughout the whole time, but I can put incredible amounts of effort and energy into creating that container before they even show up. And when they get there and creating agreements and mirroring back when people are vulnerable to highlight and say, I mean, one of the things that I do that's so helpful and so beautiful almost immediately off the bat is somebody will say, share a story and I'll say, who else can relate to that story? You know, it's like almost everybody and people are like, oh, oh, I didn't know that. Right. And so then it just opens up this. Oh, wow. And, and this is always, isn't always through pain and trauma and like sadness. It's also through triumph and, you know, excitement and joy that people feel the connection of the, through their values. Like, I really care about that too. Let's talk more about it. Well, what, what, what's good. Um, and I appreciate you, you do is you, by, by helping people understand their values and, and you, you just shared this in, in the example that you gave, you also give the rest of the group permission to go second and to relate to that and, and connect with that by asking that question, who else can relate to this experience and kind of fighting that demon of isolation, right? Where we isolate ourselves when we think we're the only ones dealing with this problem, with this struggle. And, and, and then it becomes debilitating and, and demons take over and everything, right? We're just suppressed. And, and what you share here or what you shared and what you're doing, which is, is, is beautiful, is the sense that you are giving people permission to uh, know that they're not alone, right? To yeah. know that, um, and that goes back to the, we're connected, right? We're all the same, um, even though we're diverse and or uh, we're different um, in, in that regards. Uh, 
just a couple of more questions, but I have to ask because you, you're bringing up your book and, and I love to ask this of authors and everything. How, um, when did you know you had a book? Like mm. when, when did you like, what, when was that moment where you're like, okay, you know, I've got my site, I've got my um, company, but now I, I want to put, put this in a book and, and the question of why, why in a book format? Um, uh, so, so yeah, the inspiration, the origin of, I have a book, I'm going to write a book. A long time. It's definitely been living inside of me for at least since the beginning of when I started my business. And it was coming from that experience from my old job of recognizing that these are skills people can learn. You know, this is, this is not something that is so difficult or so special that you have to go through intense training or whatever to, to activate it. And knowing that I wanted more people who were interested to have steps that have worked for me and have worked for thousands of people that I've worked with, um, that they could try and they could replicate in their own lives. And knowing that, um, I really wanted to make an impact in that way. You know, my, my husband and I are, are likely not going to have children. We have a foster daughter who's 21 now. Um, we're, we're likely not going to have children uh, biologically. And it was also part of that feeling of like, well, what do I want to leave behind? You know, like <laughs> what, what do I want to have here that I can, um, that can live beyond my physical presence of being in this space. And so it was easy to say this needed to happen. What was hard was doing it. <laughs> and when COVID came, I had been asking myself every year, how am I going to get this book written? How am I going to get this book written? And then it was like, all right, <laughs> This is, this is the answer. Like you are not going to be traveling all over anymore. You're not going to be rushing to get from one thing to the next in, in the way I was lying to myself pre COVID that I would like really thought I had a great handle on my flow. And, um, that was a lie. I was, I was way overbooked and doing way too much and taking on and saying yes to everything. So it was also exciting. And, um, and it was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to make this space. I'm going to make this happen. This is going to be the year for it to get birth. And I think that it's also divine timing in many ways, because this year has made us all recognize our humanity in a much deeper and apparent way. And companies are struggling to figure out what do we do? to keep us together, to keep us connected while we're apart. And then how do we come back together? You know, what are those things? And for me, it's our values and they're with us forever. They're, they're always going to connect us no matter how far we are, no matter if we, you know, see each other every day or once a month or whatever it is, when you're living in alignment with your values, it's a very deep connection to one another and the higher purpose of the work. And it just feels like this is the time. This is the time for that message to, be coming out. And I know um, many people are, are sharing similar messages and their version. And it just is really heartwarming to know that this conversation is not so much the minority anymore. Mm, definitely. Definitely. Well, why don't you share with everyone again, the title of the book and where I know it's not coming out till July, right? So mm -hmm. uh, uh, June, June. Oh, even better sooner. So uh, yeah. <laughs> name of the book, where they can start learning more about that. And also uh, where can people learn more about you? 
Thank you for that opportunity. Yeah, it's called Permission to Be Human, The Conscious Leader's Guide to Creating a Values-Driven Culture. And um, pretty soon it'll be up on my website. So our website is sparkvisionnow.com. We're also going to have a page um, if you typed in permissiontobehuman.com. It'll redirect you there too. Um, I'd love to be connected with folks on LinkedIn, as you know, Matt and I talked about. That's a big platform for human connection and and being able to to get that heart to heart from anywhere in the world, which is really such a gift as well. And um, I, anybody who is interested in learning more about any of the work can can find that on our website too, at SparkVisionNow.com. So thank you for the opportunity to present that. Not a problem, not a problem. And thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, Matt, thank you so much for connecting me with Mary Beth. And uh, um, again, if you guys want to connect with Mary Beth, uh, we'll have all of that content in our show notes um, on betweenthemiles.com. And uh, Mary Beth, again, we are grateful for this time with you. Uh, we look forward to possibly having you back on the show to continue these conversations about humanity, authenticity, and, and connection. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Matt, that was incredible. I, I enjoyed our conversation so much with Mary Beth. Uh, you know, again, uh, and, and I'm going to go out there and say, on behalf of all the listeners, thank you so much for uh, introducing us to Mary Beth. Um, and again, even though you guys have known each other for a while, uh, what were some of the takeaways or what was the one big takeaway that you had from our conversation with her on the show? Um, so number one, the fact that she remembered me after all these years, right? Like we had been in touch, um, but the fact that she remembered me, um, she remembered the back injury um, that my wife had. And, um, you know, she's just another one of our guests that leads with the heart. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, she leads with the heart. Uh, she, she obviously shared um, some vulnerability, but the one thing that really stood out was how she got rid of the label in her career. Mm -hmm. So as she was launching, right? I, I, I don't know if you remember, but she talked about being the millennial whisperer right. and how that was her foot in the door. But after a while, she had to really stand up for her values and beliefs and the mission and vision that she was on. And, uh, and, and you know, had to stand up and say, listen, I think all generations wanna have these conversations. And uh, I, I'm sure that she saw that as a pivotal point for things, you know, taking the next step with, with her company. So yeah, yeah, no, and, and I think that's huge. And I'm so glad you brought that up because um, I mean, how many of us, right, get stuck in our own labels who get typecasted and don't know how to get out of that. And therefore we maybe surrender ourselves, which, which could be okay, but then sometimes we get resentful of those labels and it just, kind of destroys the joy that we're experiencing joy so uh in, in our work so um yeah that was definitely inspiring um for me as well um and uh you know uh, the um the big takeaway that i had and don't worry i'll edit that out the big takeaway that i had uh was um you know kind of linked up with that where you know, she was working for uh, United Way, right? And, uh, you know, helping them out, part of this bigger organization. But as she was working with different clients, she kind of realized that she had this, not just the, these gifts and talents, but this knowledge, this wisdom. And um, I know that we all 
um, kind of find ourselves in this situation where we're like, why don't other people know these things, right? Why don't other people know this skill or this knowledge or this thing that I know about? And, and pretty much, you know, she, she painted out like, you know, it, she was able to use these gifts to help other people. And, and I think in a way it's these, uh, the reason why we know certain things that other people don't is because we're passionate about them, right? And passion begets passion and, and, and with passion comes this search, this thirst for knowledge and wisdom. And so I know there have been times where I've kind of been like, well, why don't other people know these things? And instead of, you know, using that to be judgmental, using that as a kind of a, a spark to um, share, you know, these gifts with, with other people. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say is, is, I think it was a realization of the value that she brought to the marketplace. And oftentimes I, I think a lot of people sense that they might be able to bring that value, but they don't ever really take the leap. And so, you know, if if that feels or sounds like you, re-listen to this episode to 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 catch some of these cues because Mary Beth was just someone that, you know, didn't necessarily right off the bat know her value. But once she found it out, it led her in this pathway and, and she's just making a tremendous impact. And and I'm sure many of you out there uh, if you were just willing to take that leap and and lean into your passions could do the same definitely definitely and you gotta love it when you go to her website which is sparkvisionnow.com and we'll have it in the show notes um in her about page she says her personal life's mission is to create spaces where voices are heard stories are released and purpose is ignited and that that couldn't be any um uh, th that couldn't be any more true and so, um, again, uh, just so glad that we had her on the show. We hope everyone who is listening to this episode enjoyed it as well. And if you did uh, enjoy this episode or any of our episodes that we've had, uh, we encourage you to uh, leave us a review, especially a five-star review on iTunes or uh, Spotify or anywhere that this podcast can be heard. And of course, uh, feel free to share it with your friends, your family, your neighbors. Uh, use it as an icebreaker to uh, connect with that one person that you've always wanted to connect with. Um, and again, for uh, more on this episode and other episodes, visit our website at betweenthemiles.com. And so on behalf of Matt, I'm Chris, and we'll see you again. This has been a Between the Miles production. Your hosts, Chris Wesley and Matt Wells. Music provided by Jan Studio, Wide Open Road. For more information, visit our website at betweenthemiles.com.